Personal, the podcast. I'm John Paul Batham, your host. Our theme, our message is intended to be a wide open forum. And with that being said, let's hope it's entertaining. My father, the late John Batham, Hall of Fame broadcaster, started the Strictly Personal Commentary Show back in the late 90s. This is my attempt to keep that going. And throughout the many podcasts, I'll be highlighting different audio clips of his broadcast history. I hope you'll enjoy that. In the meantime, let's hope the commentary is relevant and interesting. All the while, we'll be hosting different guests along the way. All of this commentary will be strictly personal. With all that, let's get started. Today's guest is Dalton Albrecht. Dalton and I met some 25 years ago. I think it was playing hockey, but we'll catch up with him to confirm that. In the meantime, let's listen in on John Battle. Well, it's getting very close to baseball season, and our guest is Ferguson Jenkins, well-known across Canada and baseball for his performances with the Chicago Cubs. And what, I guess we could say, because of basketball, really, that you're in Regina, Ferguson. Right, John. I'm touring with the Globetrotters, and uh, I'll be in uh, the western provinces about uh, nine dates. We missed you in Regina. I gather you, you had a lot of fun making plane connections, and it took you a long time. Right, I did. They oversold the flight, and in uh, Cleveland, when it originated, uh, they got to Chicago an hour late, and I stayed in DePaul uh, about four hours, and I couldn't... Uh, leave Winnipeg because of uh, scheduled flights, and I had to stand by a few times, and I didn't think I was going to make it into Regina. Well, I know that a lot of people were hopeful that uh, you'd make it. However, uh, how about your basketball? We're going to just talk a little basketball for a moment. Uh, uh, did you play much basketball? I played uh, varsity uh, basketball through high school and through different organizations in uh, southern Ontario and parts of uh, Detroit uh, in Michigan, but uh, I didn't go into college, and then uh, I signed right out of high school for uh, Major League Baseball. But I'm uh, quite equipped to play on the basketball court, but I can't uh, clown like some of these fellows with the globe shotters. They're magnificent, aren't they? They are. They're, they play a dual role, basketball and clowning, and it goes over very good. And the entertainment they give to the people, I think they really enjoy it. Well, we've got one of, in my mind at least, a real baseball nut, I suppose you could use that expression, a real fanatic about baseball, and our old friend Ron Barnes with us. And, Ron, I know that you're champing at the bit to get a question or two here to Ferguson. Thank you very much, John. I am. I've seen Ferguson perform uh, live on two or three occasions when I took my little baseball junket. And I'd just like to ask uh, you, Ferguson, when you consider you got your break. It seems to me you had to knock around a while before you became a big winner in the major leagues. Well, I think the first break uh, for a Canadian was signing a pro professional contract 
Then uh, I went to spring training with the Phillies, and this is where I think it really starts. Uh, you get the opportunity to, to, to see how uh, you rank up with some of the, the top-notch American stars because uh, in Canada, the season is very short, and I know in high school they play a lot of, a lot of baseball, maybe 70 or 80 games. And in Ontario, I played maybe 30 games in a summer schedule. So uh, I got the opportunity there. Then the big thing came with the trade in 66, and then I started uh, pitching for Chicago. Now, you've been a 20-game winner the past two seasons, too, and on the All-Star team, I can well imagine that's hyped the baseball interest around your home in Chatham, Ontario, quite a bit. Right, it is. I've got a lot of fans in uh, southern Ontario and uh, out west, even. I've... Uh since I've been traveling with the Globetrotters, a lot of people say they, they follow Chicago. And I think nowadays uh, Montreal has a franchise. There'll be a lot more people, I think, watching Canadian uh, uh, play in uh, the major leagues now. I'll just ask you a little bit about Montreal then. How do you think they will fare as far as attendance and weather and all the rest of it goes? It'll be a little chilly the first part of the season in April, but uh, I think the people will support it. Now uh, that uh, they have a, an all-sports city, I think the people will really enjoy baseball there. And uh, I think the, the Montreal Expos will survive uh, very good in their division. They might be a little short on pitching, which uh, is uh, the main factor for, uh, I think, Major League Baseball. But... Uh, they should survive pretty good. I think if they play 500 ball, then the next couple of years, uh, they will strengthen their pitching staff. Well, I, I have a question here. Um, spring training is just around the corner, I think, in a few weeks. As a matter of fact, 19th of February for most teams. And we've been seeing these stories coming out about uh, the dispute with the players and the management over the pension fund and the fact that a lot of players might not send, sign their contracts. Uh, what is the situation? Dalton, is that you? Yes, it is. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? Yeah, good. Okay, I'm here with uh, Dalton Albrecht. And uh, Dalton, I was uh, wanting to get you on for a podcast because uh, I know that uh, you and I go back, uh, and I was sitting here trying to figure out how far you and I go back. I think you and I met playing hockey back in the early, early to mid-'90s, somewhere in there. Does that make sense? I think that makes sense, yeah, because I organized a team along with your... Uh, brother and I think you came along as little brother yeah that's right and we had some uh, pretty good teams back then I mean, we had uh, we made a couple of good runs I don't know if we ever won the championship but we got close a few times I do remember that well, we, won, we won the arena championship a couple of times we, we went to the final of, what was that called again they had their own league at arena um, oh at Iroquois that time yeah, yeah no, but actually I'm thinking the one down in East Oakville. They, had, they actually had their, I don't know if they're still around, but they had a chain of arenas. They had their own, they had their own championship, if you recall. We won the arena championship, uh, but uh, yeah. I think we failed at the so-called national championship, if you will. We came close, though. Yeah, so we played, uh, well, I'll come back to the hockey. I wanted to ask you, your the spelling of your last name, Albrecht, is it's A-L-B-R-E-C-H-T? That's correct. It's Albrecht. It's oh, German name. oh, it's a German name. Okay. So, yeah, I have a German background way back when, my great-grandparents, I guess. But, but no, no, Albrecht is very German. There's, um, there's some princes with that last name. And it's actually a, 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 a German uh, a German grocery chain, very big grocery chain, sort of like Loblaw's called Albrecht. It actually means son of Albert. It's, it's an interesting name because it's a homonym. Okay. My, my name, Dalton Albrecht, could be reversed. Some people call me Albrecht thinking that's my first name. Some people call me Mr. Dalton because Dalton can be a surname, an English surname. But Albrecht can actually be a German first name, so it's, it can be confusing. Oh, okay. Right, right. I, know, I know an Albrecht. His first name was Albrecht. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great joy of calling me Albrecht, but anyway. 
But you're you're Canadian. You were born in Canada. Oh yeah, so were my parents. Yeah. Your parents, yeah. So we're grandparents. I think. Yeah, my, my both my both my on both sides of my family they came from Germany, but in the sort of one case in the 1840s and one case in the 1870s. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty Canadian. Yeah, yeah. And so I was wondering now you you, you married Ruth and you've got a, you've got two boys, right? That's correct. You got two sons. Do you have any? I never asked you. Do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, I do. I have. They're all in the kitchen Waterloo area. We come from the old Berlin area, so that's the Germanic area. Yeah, because I don't oh, think I've ever oh, met oh, your, your any of your siblings. I've never met them. Hmm. I'm not sure. I yeah. can't. I can't really think of it. I mean, they're here occasionally, but you know, it is it is kitchen Waterloo. It's yeah. 60, 60, 70 miles away. Yeah, I'm the only kind of one of my family in the Toronto area. I have some cousins in the Toronto area. Some an extended family, but generally, but very few. Most of my family is either Kitchener or West. I mean, okay. both of my parents were born and raised in okay. the area west, of, the rural area, rural area west of Kitchener Waterloo, uh, such as in Melbourne, Melbank, and. Uh, so you grew up in that area, or no? Well, I was born in Sud- I was actually born in Sudbury and lived in Sudbury Coppercliff area. But then I we moved to Kitchener in the city, where my dad started work there, and then we moved outside of Kitchener, west of Kitchener, which is the more traditional areas from so I really grew up in the New Hamburg Bay area played my hockey in New Hamburg that sort of that sort of thing I have a, I have a very rural background your background speaking of background your career you've been a lawyer as far as I can remember did you go to school for, to become to study law to becoming a lawyer yeah, that's the only way you can do it yeah, I went to, uh, I, went to uh, I went to Laurier for business then I went to Western for University of Western Ontario in London for my law degree and that would then after you you have to pass a bar exam I would qualify you to practice law, but before I did that, I went to Harvard for my master's of law. So I've actually been to uh, two different, actually three different law schools, because I also did the Hague, uh, the Hague, the Den Haag Academy of International Law in Holland as well. Wow. That was only, that was only a one-month sort of certificate program, but that was after I finished my Harvard master's of law and I written my thesis that I went there. And then I came back and got my call to the bar. You have to be called to the bar. It's mm-hmm. not quite what it sounds like. A lot of lawyers like to drink, but <laughs> they are called call, call to the bar. But, uh, but no, you're called to the bar. Some take that to, literally, do they? Yeah, some take it literally. You have to, uh, well, is that something about uh, doctors get divorced, dentists commit suicide, and lawyers drink. But uh, well, that's true. That's the old joke. But uh, no, you have, to, you, have to actually, you have to actually be fit. You have to have a background check. Well, is sure that right? As it used to be, and then you have to pass a series of bar exams, and you literally have to be invoked. I actually have a third degree. I have a bachelor's of law from Osgood, from Osgood, the original Osgood Hall, not not the not the York University Law School, but the original wow. Osgood. That's amazing. Because you, you actually you actually get another degree. It's they confer a bachelor of laws degree on you as well. It's kind of interesting. Not that anybody pays attention to that. So you uh, were doing all this, I guess, in your twenties and uh, and so on, and then. Uh... How did you, uh, I guess, you, you, when did you meet Ruth, I guess? Was that during... I met Ruth in high school. I thought you knew that point. Uh, your brother would know that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you guys, all, all this time you were together with Ruth then? What's that? So through all of your schooling, you guys were together. Well, yes. Through law school, I mean, we weren't necessarily together regularly. Uh, we did get married just before I went to Harvard. It was one of those things. I mean, I'm going down to the U.S. for a year. You know, we, we take the next step, or we probably, you know, we were going to be down there for a year. We, we had to make a decision as to the next step, so we decided um, to get uh, to get married before I went to Harvard. So I finished my 
undergraduate, my law degree at Western, and then then we uh, then we got married. Which brings another German connection. That she's actually first generation generation German. She's the one that can speak German. I can only swear and do <laughs> drinking songs in German, basically. But she uh, she actually was quite fluent in it because her parents came over after the war. Have you been to Germany? You must have. Oh yeah, I've yeah. been to Germany. Yeah. I want to go back actually to where my mum's side came from, which is the Rose side. Which was uh, inter- it's interesting. Uh, yeah, interesting. I was in Berlin last summer for the first time I ever went to Germany. It's it's beautiful there. I really liked it. Yeah. Yeah, I've been to Hamburg and I've been to uh, to Munich and you know Oktoberfest. But no, Germany is a very uh, bustling society and you know in many ways a very good society. They're all kind of yeah hardworking and you know it's the economic engine of Europe. I mean, if they hadn't been stupid enough to have bad leaders that caused so many wars, Germany would be even a bigger, more powerful country, probably. Yeah, most likely, yeah. That's why I'm here, by the way. That's why I'm here. My father's family in particular, actually both sides of the family, my mother's and my father's side, got fed up with all the wars going on in Germany. It was, it was in their area. The Alsace and Lorraine areas where both sides of the family came from. One a little closer to, uh, to this, 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 uh, what's that city, Strauss? Uh, but anyway, uh, they, they were in that area that was fought over between France and Germany. It was the European Wars of 18... Started in the late 1858s, late 1850s, 1858, if you read your history, and continued down through Bismarck in the 70s. It was just like constant war for 20 years. That's why both sides of the family came here. Well, I was just curious, too. What uh, When you went and studied law, did like why did you want to become a lawyer? Do you recall why? Um, not entirely sure, but I always had that in mind. I'm the only lawyer in my family, kind of, on both sides, so it's interesting. It's not like I was following in the footsteps. Yeah. My, my brothers would tell, my siblings would tell you that they always thought I'd become a lawyer because I was always the most argumentative at games. <laughs> Just playing games about rules. I was always very rules-driven. As you may recall, on the ice, I was very rules-driven. With <laughs> so, I do. Know, I expect people to follow the rule of law, so... Yeah. I, guess, uh, I don't know. I think part of it was I did want to sort of... I wanted to be more international. Yeah, and that's why that's why I studied international law in two places at Harvard and at Den Haag Academy of International Law. So I kind of always wanted to, you know, not break out, but I, I didn't see myself staying in the confines of a, you know, smaller town or a rural area. I just had bigger ambitions. I guess I read a lot, so I just wanted to see the world. I figured maybe becoming a lawyer was a way to uh, to do that, and it has sort of worked out in one sense. Uh, I think it was more just my rules-driven personality, as I say. If you ask my siblings or you ask any referees when we play hockey. Yeah. So you've been you've been a lawyer a long time. I know that, and I'm just wondering, like the type of law that you've been in is it's uh, it's uh, international law. Is that what it is, or how do you phrase it? Like, what do you? Well, I, I, I sort of describe depending on I'm talking to. I describe myself as an international lawyer, but that that means a lot of things to a lot of people. I'm really a I'm really ultimately what I would call a tax lawyer. Um, you know, I deal intricately with the statutes, tax statutes. So I include customs law and that and trade law with that. International law is basically mostly a trade, is mostly tra- trade-related, trade-related right. law. Sorry, sorry, uh, Paul, that's just my dog. He's just looking just at something in his throat, but he's fine. Okay. Um, you cut that part of it out. No, the uh, international law was always my main interest, but I mean, what does that mean, especially for a Canadian? You know, we don't rule the world like the Americans south of us. And there's international lawyers down there that do major international deals around the world. And there's certainly Canadian lawyers, etc. So my, my approach to international law was more the international trade law was always my, my first love, which is, you know, 
getting goods back and forth across the border. I like to say I trade I trade in goods, not people. I'm essentially right. a cross-border lawyer, but lawyer, but I trade in goods, not people. So that includes tax, you know, GST, VAT on importation, customs rules, and international trade remedy law, which is anti-dumping, countervailing that sort of things, surtaxes, safeguards. You know, just in the paper this morning, I was quite interested in that article about Trump and the Trump government. Uh, Imposing retaliatory steel tariffs again yep. because can't bring too much steel down. Well, that's something that I got heavily involved in the last year or two, interpreting that, dealing with you know getting refunds for people, drawbacks, etc. You know, Canadian manufacturers use steel to make products that are exported, so that's that's kind of right up my alley. So that's why that's what I find interesting. I think it's helpful to Canadian companies. I act for a lot of I act for a couple of Canadian companies in dump anti dumping cases, and that mm-hmm. sort of protects their. Uh, you know, their employees in Canada against uh, low, low, unfairly low priced, yeah. uh, below cost uh, goods coming from China and places like that. Um, just sort of uh, jumping topics a little bit, I wanted to touch on, uh, go back to our sports background because I know that. Uh, uh, obviously, you and I connected playing hockey, but we, you know we play uh, played a lot of hockey and, and we golf uh, quite a bit. Um, I remember many times you coming out golfing with uh, Perry and my dad. The four of us went out uh, often in tournaments, many times in the Allen Eagleson tournament. Um, do you recall a lot of those times? Oh, I, I still, I still quite enjoy the the Allen Eagleson tournament and, and the tournament that you have in memory of your father too. They're both, you know, they're both for good causes, raising money. And the mm-hmm. Eagleson tournaments for sick kids because. Uh, Helen Eagleson's grandchild was saved by six kids' hospitals as a blue baby, if you recall that story. That tournament yeah. was a slightly smaller format, by the way. I was just there last year up in Aurora. The tournament for your dad, you know, raises money for a scholarship for universities. So, but, you know, they're just a lot of fun. And it's great It's great getting out. But, you know, they're for, for good causes, too. So it's, uh, you know, it's sort of a win-win situation in those. But I certainly yeah. remember... I remember some other golf games, Paul. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, where you and your dad had... And Perry, your brother, yeah. and I played golf, and those ones actually got a little more like uh, some of the hockey games were in. They got a little rough and tumble at times. Oh, yeah, notorious <laughs> for that. <laughs> That's your, true. Your famous nickname, which I won't repeat. Maybe it's infamous. Oh, yeah, the two-ball Paul. <laughs> as, your brother, as your brother refers to it. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm known as two-ball Paul uh, on, my, on many, uh, many golf oh. courses. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, we've had a lot of fun with the golf and, uh, I know the other thing is I was looking at a picture, uh, not too long ago and uh, you had the knee brace on. So you've had both knees operated. Is that right? I've had multiple operations, but I've got one completely artificial knee, another half artificial knee. My advice to anybody who listens to this is if you're ever going to do that, go for the whole, the full knee replacement because it worked out better. But yeah. I've, had, I've got one and a half artificial knees, a little bit too much hockey and you know i didn't, mm-hmm. didn't know me in high school but i also played football which is a little small for it maybe and uh yeah. i played a lot of soccer which is probably actually my best sport and lacrosse so too, too many sports all, all hard on the knees too so the the how are the knees now oh they're good um you know i'm fine i mean i you know i can't really i can golf yeah and i can uh, run i guess i can't run i can golf and i can walk and that's what i guess i'm happy and thankful for and uh yeah, you know, I appreciate that. Actually, my my surgeon said we could do knee surgery because I had so much pain; it was affecting my sleeping and stuff. I was bone on bone, and I said, "Well, good. I'll get me back to doing what I like to do, which is you know almost everything, as you know." And 
He said, no, you can walk with your wife and you can go up and that'll be it. That'll be enough. I said, why can't I ski? <laughs> he said, because yeah. if some snowboarder hits you from the side and wrecks it, I'm not, I'm not fixing it. So I said, okay. I <laughs> uh, well, you, you know what? The um, I know that you uh, got a place down in Finger Lakes just south of the border and you've got a place in Florida. Um, I guess you're not getting down there then, like with all this going on. Like normally, wouldn't you be at your cottage in Finger Lakes right about now? Uh, probably on a Friday in the summer, yes, and I'd certainly be there next week. Yeah, it's, it's actually strange you say Finger Lakes because it is actually, but most people don't realize it's on Lake Chautauqua, which is the westernmost Finger Lake. But most people associate the Finger Lakes with sort of south of Rochester. You know, uh, uh, there's a couple of lakes, Canadago and stuff like that there. But Chautauqua Lake is a Finger is a Finger Lake, although as you say, most people don't associate that, don't realize that. Yeah. Because it's like 90 miles west of, of the of the other Finger Lakes, but yeah, you know, Chautauqua Institution, which is one of my favorite places in the world, a nonprofit think tank, uh, summer summer play, summer theater, summer concert, summer opera, etc., is uh, you know is world famous, and I normally really enjoy going there, particularly on the weekends or for a week or two holiday. Mm. It's actually it's there, of course, I haven't gone anywhere. It's been there since the 1870s, but but it's uh, it's the season has been canceled, so there's no lecturers there's no preachers there's no there's no entertainment there but the lake is still a gorgeous lake it's not not exactly like muskoka because it's not rocky but it's a basically a long finger lake that's got to go to narrows in the middle yeah so i mean you would go there i guess is, is it going to open up soon will you be able to get there this summer you think well i thought i was going there next week but the government uh, just closed uh, our, our government in its wisdom i think it was the canadians pushing the americans i think the americans are more open just pushed uh, to lock it down till July 21st again. So I may have to convince, uh, I may have to come up with some sort of essential reason to get uh, to get down there. I'm actually having some work done on my cottage here, so it would be nice to go there and supervise and look at it. So, but uh, right now it looks like uh, the land border at least is closed until uh, yeah, until uh, you know until July 21st. I hope that's the end of it. I mean, this this lockdown is getting somewhat ridiculous. I don't, I don't suppose you want to get too political as a broadcast, but. Well, I don't. I mean, it's, uh, we can get as political as you want. Uh, I mean, the whole COVID thing, what is your thoughts on that? I mean, this has been uh, just, what I, on how many weeks is it now? I've lost track. I've totally lost track now. I mean, I feel like four I've months, been... Four months. I was supposed to go to the U.S., to Florida, on March 17th, 18th, whatever that was, and that's basically when they did the lockdown, started the lockdown that week, and so I did go down at that time. Well, it's been four months, April, May, oh, June. Didn't you, didn't you just get down there last week to get your car or something? Yeah, I did. I was, I had a an accident not my fault in fact the car was parked in my, my parking garage and someone hit it so you know it was there it was in there in january it wasn't ready to be available when i was when i was down there in february so at, at some point they the, the collision center was calling me and saying your car is done when are you going to pick it up right <laughs> maybe, we should, maybe we should charge your storage and plus you know i wanted to, to assess it also it uh, depends where you are in, in florida etc some case you know if you're along the east coast well even the east coast or west coast you got you have to hurricane preparedness, and I had to make sure everything was ready for that. So I did, I did uh, fly down. I was able to go across the border for essential reasons, and uh, and you know came back. But now it's you know it's got kind of locked locked down again. I thought the border would be open by now. It's this COVID thing. Getting back to your original question, I yeah. mean, you know it's interesting. If you look at the stats, it's, it's like 0.02 percent people are, are dying, and uh, it's a little overblown. I mean, if you know if you notice there there's no other flu this season. By the way, this is the flu. 
Yeah. Uh, make a little more virulent flu than usual, but at some point the cure is going to be worse than the disease here if we don't get uh, open up and get back to work. It's what, what, what was the newspaper today? The government's 250, 250 billion deficit or something in large part because of this. We're spending trillions of dollars on this. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, now the now the danger is though that are are do we move too quickly and too carelessly and get too cavalier with uh, but getting back in uh, into the swing of things here? That's my concern. But I guess uh, you're you know we, we eventually you have to start easing back into things. But you know you just the problem is just too much unknown stuff. That's the problem. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, I think you know we've got some possible cures. We haven't got a vaccine yet. That'll really, that really clears up. Depends what, what you think about vaccines, but uh, but uh, you know, I mean, there's some some cures. I mean, there's a new, some new drugs out that seem to work in later stages. You got the hydrochloroquine for earlier stages, but really, I mean, I don't know. Do you know anybody that's that's that either has COVID or got very sick from COVID? I mean, 85 percent of the people who died have been. Yeah, I've got. I know one. I know one person that passed away. A guy that uh, my age, unfortunately. And, uh, so, but I didn't know him really well, but I knew a guy that used to play, uh, used to do some poker, uh, with, uh, with poker tournaments. Did he have, did he have co- comorbidity issues? I'm sorry to hear that. I... Yeah, he had, he did have some health issues. So that, uh, does, you know, make it, I guess, uh, understandable in some sense, but, uh, yeah, but I don't know a lot. You're right. I mean, it is. Seen... Well, I don't know anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. I was sick in March for a little bit. Maybe I even had it. I don't know, but I was only sick for a day or two. But uh, you know, I mean, it flus all it flus flu season happens, right? That was just the statistics I was going to mention. Is over eighty percent of the deaths in Ontario and even many other places have been, you know, basically people with other complicated conditions, comorbidities that were over the age of eighty. Yeah. Younger people, like your friend, they've got other comorbidities. Obviously, if you've got diabetes or you've got heart conditions or you're, you're grossly overweight, this is going to affect you affect you more but uh, you know it's uh, uh, you know it's at some point we got to get back on with business I mean there's you know there's always things and I, I really feel sorry for the next generation either, either high school or university kids that can't get jobs or, or younger kids that aren't getting the exercise they should and aren't going to school and they're not getting you know social interaction I really fear for the uh, future this goes on too much longer I mean I agree I guess you got to gradually open things up but look at some of the US states that opened up there hasn't been a problem Florida's opened up more significantly and there hasn't been an issue Florida's pretty relatively wide open right it's not I mean not completely yeah well they are talking about now uh, resurgence uh, second wave and those are being talked about but I don't know how accurate uh, that news is but uh, who knows well the only the place with the worst activity the one that were getting second waves my understanding is New York which hasn't opened up so you know, Florida except Florida you know is not getting a not getting a second wave even Ontario they're down you know I just read something in the newspaper today we're down down significantly, but uh, you know it's a flu. It's a virulent flu, and I'm not downplaying it. And obviously, it can have adverse so, impact, particularly most people with with you know bad health situations already. But you know, what are we going to do? Shut you know shut down the world until there's zombies walking in the street? So, what's your view? Is it a man-made uh, virus, or is this a? Uh... I don't know. I haven't fully concluded on that. It is very suspicious about that researcher. I think. Of, of uh, Chinese background who was who left Winnipeg apparently under some very unusual conditions escorted by the RCMP. So there was something going on in the Winnipeg lab that made its way to Wuhan, and you know it, it seemed to come out there. I'd be surprised this just came from bats. That seems a little a little batty to me, but uh, you know I'm not I'm not an expert uh, an expert on that. I think I don't think there was any intent to deliver a killer virus in the world per se. But I think 
was that this was being developed in a lab and it escaped through uh, you know maybe accidentally or something inadequate inadequate uh, protocols I think and you know I, I think it was initially I think it was initially I think the Chinese initially uh, covered it up and obviously the who helped them cover it up so they should be called to task for that I don't think it's deliberately released on the world to you know form a war or something I, I would hope not that would be pretty scary but uh, I think it I think it was man 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 made and it was inadvertently released and then it was covered up and you know if we'd done a shutdown I, I was certainly in favor of a shutdown initially if we'd shut the transborder flights and you know right shut the borders you know earlier for example and, and well that's true I mean if we'd just well I, you're right that's what's kind of like looking like uh, one of the best fixes is just when these things happen shut your borders down and just don't let anything in and uh, not really a good precedence to to do but i guess what are you going to do when it's this bad you got to do something well you know it's funny uh trump was accused of racism when he said that in february yeah so that was the smartest thing to to do and i think the countries that did shut down fairly quickly for example britain did not shut down very quickly at all um and you know it seems to be in worse shape some of the other countries uh germany did shut down and uh, which closed it as much as it could as borders fairly quickly and to be less uh, less involved in it but you know i think I think an earlier closure of, uh, you know, something major like this, the better. But I think at some point you've got to start opening things up, particularly between Canada and U.S. Our economies are so integrated. I know that from the work I do. Yeah. I do a lot of work for U.S. companies. And a lot of work with Canadian companies with U.S. affiliates, whether they're parents or subsidiaries. There are a lot of work for companies that operate on both sides of the border or companies that cooperate on both sides of the border. The North American economy is so integrated. I mean, the people are so integrated. You mentioned, uh, you know, my place, your brother has a place in the U.S., you know, it's... Um, yeah, everybody's so international now, too, right? We're so integrated. I don't think the shutdown can continue any longer. And I'm not sure it really needs to. You know, the word quarantine comes from Latin for quarantine, four days. Uh, for 40 days, sorry. Quarante means 40 days. Um, and, you know, what it was is anybody who arrived in the country who was sick was quarantined for 40 days. We're doing the opposite. We're quarantining healthy people. Right. Which is a chance to make them unhealthy because you're in your house, you can't leave. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. People aren't getting exercise. They aren't getting fresh air. Yeah, think it's interesting. Quarantine healthy people. We should yeah. quarantine sick people or the vulnerable. If you're in an old age home, yeah. If you're in an old age home or long term long term care home, nursing home, you know we should be closing those doors because you know people can bring things in. You're a vulnerable population. But I think to a normally young, healthy population, I think it's. I, I don't think the quarantine should be applied. Really. Right. In yeah. fact, in fact, there's a theory that. You, know, you need to have a bit of the disease, get a herd, herd immunity. That's what happens every year with them. Well, you wonder if that's going to be, uh, you know, like you said earlier, people feel like they've had this thing early, like earlier in the season. A lot of people had some really nasty, cold, flu-like stuff going on, and pe- a lot of people I talked to said, "Well, I think I had it." So maybe, maybe they're, you know, that's a, maybe a good thing. They got over it, and they're going to be maybe a little bit of immunity to it. So well, I, I hope so. I feel. I mean, I was, you know, in the states that you mentioned, and obviously, you know, under quarantine, but I. Uh, I actually feel 100% healthy. I take my temperature every day. My wife takes my temperature every day. I'm 35, 36 degrees. And, and you know, I, I kind of do think, I mean, I never got tested, but I, I didn't, even know what it was. I didn't even know what it was at the time. This was in early March. But I think I did have kind of a nasty flu for a day, day and a half. I mm-hmm. took some rest, took a lot of fluids, and felt great the next day. I went and got a, a COVID test last week. And I'll tell you, that's that that's Q-tip up the nose. That thing is very disturbing. That hurts. <laughs> Don't let I him. One, I can only think of one place more. It might hurt more. <laughs> exactly. Is that what they do? Is it, yeah. So when, how long did it take to get the result? 
Well, I, I, you know, I gather they would have, if I was positive, they would have called it, I would have, I would assume relatively quickly, but I think it was three, four days later, it was online and, uh, you know, they show you your test negative, but just ex this experiencing that test, I thought, you know what, I, I, after experiencing that, I wouldn't want to go back. So they need to come up with a, they need to come up with a better test because that's, that was too uncomfortable to go back and do again. I thought there was another company in Ottawa, I forget the name of it, that came up with a simpler test that was actually quicker. Well, they need to get it out there because that, after anyone's had that test, nobody's going back, I can tell you that. Uh, I was I was having some mild symptoms, and uh, I had uh, you know uh, you know Wendy had come back from the UK, so I'd been exposed to her. So I just thought, why not? Better to, I thought better to, better to know. <laughs> Yeah. Now, what's interesting is I think there's a lot of countries that are worse than the U.S. and the U.K. In fact, I'd like to know what's really going on in Russia, some of the some of the African countries. I mean, if you don't test, you don't know, right? I mean, the U.S. and Canada were doing a lot of testing. Well, that's what I was kind of thinking. I was thinking, well, I'd rather just get tested to know rather than sit there and guess whether you might have it or you might not or might have been exposed or you might not. I thought, well, I'm just going to go get tested and find out. So, so it came back negative. Well, I'm glad about yeah. that. Yeah. That's my people that are asymptomatic or may have had it at one point in time or something um you know it's interesting you know i think the real problem is some of these countries that aren't very transparent and don't like putting information out there i think that's where it's more virulent that's why i'm a little bit of, i'm a little bit in favor of international you know cross siege border restrictions i think that makes some sense Canada's mm -hmm. border is too integrated economically socially there's heartbreaking stories about families separated on you know either side of the border husband and wives on either side of the border you don't see each other for months or your parent is you know ill and perhaps dying and you can't visit now, apparently the latest agreement which extended the 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 originally you know originally was march 21 then april 21 then may 21 then it was june 21 yeah that, that the one that extended it to july 21 apparently provides for I guess close family members in certain circumstances. It, but uh, you know, I, I would have thought, yeah, if you if you want to go to the trouble of getting a test, then you should be able to travel. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, well, you just don't know. They got quarantine issues on the other side of it too. Like you come into town, you they want you to quarantine. So these are they, they're not at a point where it's conducive for travel yet. Well, or or you come back, you got a you know fourteen day quarantine in Canada still. So uh, it's it's kind yeah, of a. It's, it's not as I say, quarantine is misinterpreted. You, quarantine was originally for quarantining healthy people. Yeah, I think the, I think the I think the proper word they're using is social isolation. Sorry, quarantine was quarantining sick people. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, yeah, social isolation. Yeah, I guess it, it is what it is. But yeah. I think it's got major impact on the economy. But like I say, my main fear is for the young generation. I mean, either ones that don't have jobs, you know, university kids or high school kids can't get jobs. Will they ever get jobs? They you know, lose a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, but the other one, I'm really worried about kids. I'm really worried about children who, who, frankly, don't get COVID. So I don't know why we're not having kids in school. Surely we could do some social distance and have them in school. I mean, they miss the social interaction. They miss four months of school. I mean, how do you make that up? Everybody's going to go to the next grade, but they haven't got that. Yeah. Well, I think the I think the thought is, of I mean, my understanding, the thought is, is that they might not get it, but they will transmit it. And if they're taking it home, then who, you know, it just opens everything up to uh, vulnerable again. So. Yeah, I guess so, but you know, unless they're taking it home to grandma and grandpa, I mean, I think long-term care homes, you know, is the ones you have to protect. I mean, yeah. Look what happened in Ontario, Quebec, and New York. It's even worse. They, they put sick people into long-term care homes and. New York, and then they wonder why they have so many deaths. I mean, uh, well, we had, yeah, we have had our share here in Ontario we as well. Too. Yeah. Although uh, the home 
my dad used to be in. Well, you know what I'm really thankful for, Paul? The fact that my dad passed away before all this COVID stuff. But uh, yeah. the, 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 home, the home my dad used to be in has that any COVID. Uh, wow. He was in long-term care. And you know why? Because in early, early March, they shut their doors. Well. That's, what I think, that's what I think long-term care homes have to be. In Florida, they've had no deaths in long-term care homes. You know why? Because Governor DeSantis sent the National Guard to the front doors of these homes and said no one's coming in. Yeah. They did the you know, in New York, they did the opposite. They put sick people in the old folks' homes when they cleared out the hospitals for the coming, supposed coming deluge of hospital patients. And, of course, all the hospitals were empty in New York, and the, the hospital ship Mercy went empty. Meanwhile, they sent all these old, all the sick older people back to long-term care homes and yeah. wiped out entire homes. Like I say, I think you got to, you know, you got to lock down the right people, the vulnerable, the medically compromised, the old people. you got to keep them isolated. You know, I think amongst the young, healthy population, a little bit of immunity probably is not a bad thing. Yeah. Well, I get, but the bug gets in there and it just goes through there like wildfire. That's the problem. Yeah, because you're, you know, you got all kinds of hard conditions that, you know, you're all close together. Or, you know, it's totally yeah. different than the regular population. I think you got to protect the vulnerable, as they say. But yeah. They really need it for the rest of the population, especially at this stage after four or five months. I really think they got to start. I guess we're unlocking today, right? Yeah. At least in the greater Toronto yeah, area. So t- we're, we'll get some... Uh, well, hey, we can go for a beer now, apparently, so that's a good thing. Yeah, the are open. Yeah. Well, let me... open for a while, so that's Let me just jump back to your uh, your working as a, a lawyer. Now, you were with a few different firms over the years, but are you... Uh, what are you doing now? I'm still with EY Law. Okay. I'm still, and I'm still, like, you know, working every day on a computer. I just had you know, a series of calls this morning. Sort of try to get used to working at home. Um, it's not. Uh, oh, I'm a- I'm asking because I thought well, I talked to you last year and I thought you were retiring. Well, I had to retire as a partner at age 62. You have to retire as a partner. Oh, okay. Contractual agreement, but uh, because I was still pretty active in a lot of ongoing clients, they then they offered me a, a counsel position. I'm essentially on under contract, I guess. So I'm on contract for you know so many hours a year, etc. Not quite the same. Basically, I work about two-thirds as much time and get paid about a quarter as much. That's the way it works out. But I like to keep busy. I mean, you know, frankly, I yeah. you know, not especially in this COVID environment. If I didn't have my work to do, you know, I'd be going, I'd literally be going stir-crazy. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about that before. I mean, I think if you just go to, retirement's a bad word, it seems, because the idea of doing nothing is, is, is just drives everybody crazy. you got to be doing something, I mean, to keep yourself busy and active these days. So it's good that you're, I guess, continuing on yeah, at least. No, I, it, was, it was, you know, it's funny, I... I went to a retirement seminar and there's a couple, you know, initially when people retire, they're somewhat euphoric. I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to get up, you know, whatever. Yeah. After a couple of months, anybody who was, you know, unless you're doing something physically where you're worn out, then obviously you need to retire. But, <laughs> but um, you know, a lot of people who retire from active jobs where their mind was active, et cetera, either grow old faster or they literally get depressed. I mean, it's, it's well known after two or three months that once the euphoria, euphoria Whereas uh, people actually get depressed, and you know, I experienced that a bit. Well, I'll say last summer, I not to the point where I sought treatment, but you know, I had trouble sleeping, and it's just you're so used to being active, you're so used to having a certain position, you know, a certain yeah, almost layer hierarchy, whatever. It's just really more the activity and having something to do. You you can't retire and do nothing. You gotta either find uh, something else to do, volunteer, or you gotta do something. But you know, I like this idea of slowing down a bit. Yeah, well, a little more time, freedom of your time, I guess. Yeah, what I'm doing is I, I'm of counsel to EY, so I still work on EY clients, etc. or my clients that were at EY. But I also do some other consulting on the side. I can do some consulting that's not, you know, not related to EY because I have a professional corporation. 
I find it kind of uh, interesting. Yeah, it's good for you. Different, different things. And so it's, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm sort of enjoying it. I mean, I'll continue doing this for a few years, you know. I'm too young. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, uh, so okay. So what's next? I guess I guess once this sort of we get beyond this COVID thing, I guess maybe it's uh, continue on and enjoy your 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 cottage and your your condo down in uh, Florida and uh, and get in some golf. What else? Uh, anything else are you planning to do? Well, I or? do I like to, you know, I've been doing a fair bit of walking during the COVID the last couple of months, so um, so I like to you know continue with that. Yeah, I, you know, I obviously want to spend time with my place on Lake Chautauqua because, you know, I really, even though the season's not open, I really love the Chautauqua Institution. You can still wander around the grounds. It's an old Victorian village. It looks like a Norman Rockwell painting, right? But yeah. uh, it's, uh, you know, we're not going to have quite the same season, but, you know, you, you know, I enjoy boating. I know you're a former boater, but I enjoy boating. And so, you know, yeah. be, you know, getting down there and boating is still a big lake to boat on and do different, different things and just go from place to place. In the winter time, I go to Florida. I belong to a boat club there, so I can go boating in Florida along the intercoastal. Uh, you know, I, I, we, we have no active plans. Ruth is still working as a dental hygienist. We have no actual, oh, she's just starting again after four or five months. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's serving cues, I guess. But, but uh, uh, you know, we have no plans to just do the retirement thing three months in Florida. I think that'd get boring after a while. Yeah. So yeah. now we have a grandchild now. So I think. Uh, oh, good you know, for you. We'll be going, you know, going to uh, hopefully once the border opens up, we'll be going to Lake Chautauqua for a couple weeks' holidays as we usually do, and, and maybe uh, you know, so, and every weekend, and then in the fall and winter, you know, Florida. I hope, I'm hoping to go to the uh, Super Bowl this year. You know, I think it'll. I think it's going to be Buffalo and Tampa Bay. So I'm looking forward to that. I usually go to one Tampa Bay game a year. I have a friend there. Is that right? So you you think Brady's going to get them there? Do you? Brady Gorgowski, oh yeah, actually I, I've observed Tampa Bay for a while, I'm, not, I'm sort of a fan, I'm not there, my buckles my allegiance, but for many reasons, the proximity, the fact that being in so many games there, mm -hmm. that was part of those heartbreaking <laughs> in the 90s where we went to the Super Bowl, you know, but... Uh, that would be something, think, Buffalo and Tampa in the Super Bowl, that would be something. Uh, I think so, I think it's a possibility, because I think Buffalo's coming on, Josh Allen, I think very interesting. Really good Tampa Bay's got a great coach. The problem with Tampa Bay is they had a very, very inconsistent quarterback that caused them major problems. Very talented, but very inconsistent. The games I was at, it was obvious. They'd be getting momentum, they'd be winning the game, and next thing you know, you know, something dumb would happen, and you know, they'd turn over the lead to a touchdown. Pick six were pretty regularly. So I, they've always had a good defense, actually. A fairly good defense. Yeah, they, ha they do have a much better team, I, I, and I did take notice of them quite a bit last year. And I mean, if Brady was able to go and like him and Gronk were able to get in there and, and take them all the way, I mean, that would certainly cement Brady as the best ever. He's already the best ever, but that would be just unbelievable. I don't know yeah. what happened, but I think he's a little upset at something. But I think his motivation is to go somewhere else and do it. Yeah. Definitely the, the goat or the greatest of all time or something. Um, but yeah, but it's not He's got Gronkowski coming back after a year off. He's not that old. Yep, that's true. Yeah. He can still, you know, can still do it. We'll see what happens. But you know, he's got this. There's amazing receiving cast in Tampa Bay. Like it's like an all-star receiving cast. Which, which he, which he's not had for a while. No, no, he's Brady. has not had the. I'm not a necessarily. I'm not a New England fan. I'm, I admire Brady. I'm not a New England fan. In fact, I hate New England because I'm a Buffalo fan. But, but you know, he hasn't had the tools in a long time. As his wife pointed out a few years ago. Yeah. Famous, if you remember Glitchin. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the. Uh, you know, he's got, like, Mike Evans is like, a, Mike Evans is one of the 
the top receivers in the league. There's a couple of other guys that are really, really good. And now you got Gronkowski. I mean, I think they, they got the best receiving corps in the NFL there. So unless Brady is too old, which you know, I don't think he is. I cheer for the old guys, but uh, he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to win games by himself with that receiving core. They've actually got a pretty good line too. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. Uh, well, it'll be interesting. Smart. He's not going. He's not going. He's not going to take a lot of sacks, and he's going to get the ball up to one of those great yeah. receivers. And Gronkowski just cements it. I mean, they've got two of the best wide receivers to begin with. Now they got Gronkowski. Like who's I think it's going to be interesting. Be well, let's 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 hope they at this rate. Let's hope they get out and they play. That yeah. there's some games that get played. Let's hope that the hockey comes back and the basketball gets done. I mean, that's there's a lot of pent up. I know for me, a lot of pent up desire to see some 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 live sports. It looks like, it looks like everything's coming back except Major League Baseball. If you read the yeah. paper today, yeah, I I noticed that baseball can't seem to get out of their way. Well, the union seems to be a little transient. Yeah. How much money they want? How many games they want to play? Which is and, you know, and baseball looks like it would be the safest one of all of the sports to play in this condition. So yeah, because well, it doesn't have to be that much physical contact. That's yeah. true. You know, soccer starting again. My Liverpool Reds are playing on Sunday. You know, MLS is going to have some sort of tournament in Orlando, I guess. Um, hockey, I think that's going to happen. Looks like in July, right? So yeah. it'd be great. I mean, NFL is the one that looks like it could be the full season. I mean, I'm hoping. It's just like the regular season, the way yeah, it goes, right? Yeah, that'll be, it'll be good, for sure. Well, I've got to wrap this up, uh, Dalton, and, uh, you know, I've got to uh, ask you before I uh, wind up, I always ask my guests, uh, I go out of the podcast with a song of your choice. So if you were going to attach a song to this, anything come to mind, and I will play that as we end up the podcast. Oh, can you play You'll Never Walk Alone? You Never Walk Alone. Who does that? Actually, that's the Liverpool theme song. It's... Uh, it's Jerry and the Pacemakers was the original was the original one, but uh, as long as they played before every game. All right, I'll. Daddy can, can play my favorite band of all time, which is a bunch of local 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 uh, Oakville boys, the uh, Kings. You know, you know that one as well, right? Oh yeah, the Kings. Yeah, I do know that one. I will uh, see if I can find Jerry and the Pacemakers. If not, I will play the uh, Switching the Glide. <laughs> All right, uh, Dalton. Let's get out and uh, soon and have that beer and uh, maybe hopefully some sports will be there for us to also take in. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe another golf game too. Yeah. All right, well, I'll look forward to whichever song you want to play. All right, th- well, thanks, Dalton. Have a good day. Bye-bye. All right, cheers.
Into that.